Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for CEO Exclusive, brought to you by Anona Enterprises. Good morning and welcome to CEO Exclusive, where we get emerging trends from CEOs and their most trusted advisors. I'm your host, Soyini Koch. Change is something that I know you CEOs are very familiar with. And I'm very excited on today's show to talk with two gentlemen who know about how to evolve and remain nimble in an ever-changing industry. James Marlowe and Jamie Porges from Radiant Solar are going to talk to us about how to stay nimble. Because the solar industry is changing from what they told me, like every six months, uh, they have to reinvent their business. So gentlemen, welcome to CEO Exclusive. Good morning. It's great to be here. Thanks for having us. So let's start off with you sharing with our CEO listeners some of the changes that have happened in the industry, let's say over the past year since we had uh, last had um, a company that dealt with solar energy on our show. Prices continue to come down and, and like any evolving industry, um, we've got, we're getting to scale very quickly and uh, prices continue to drop. Uh, the cost of retail solar uh, has dropped probably about 20% just in the last year, which is a significant drop uh, having dropped 90% since we started this business about nine, 10 years ago. And what is it, what are adoption rates like? Well, it's still a very early stage market. So um, on the wall behind us, there's a flat panel television and solar panels are on the same path that flat panel televisions are on. Originally, they were very expensive and they weren't very common. And now they're inexpensive and they're everywhere. Almost every room I go in now, every conference room, a gas pump, an elevator, you know, there's, there are TVs everywhere now because they are low cost and high quality. Solar panels are doing that same thing and they're becoming very common. In Georgia right now, they're not commonly seen because most of the large projects are in deep South Georgia where land is, is very low cost and flat and it's easier to build projects in South Georgia. So Georgia is a top 10 state for solar, but primarily for utility scale solar and not so much residential or commercial solar that you might be more, more, more visible. Hmm. And do you know like what percentage of residential homeowners are using solar in their houses, for example, in the Atlanta area or in Georgia? So in Georgia right now, there's probably about 4,000 people that have solar or large solar projects. So it's a fairly small number. It's similar in energy impact to hydro. So people um, in the utility industry have been building dams uh, for 50 years and People are familiar with hydroelectric. That's about 2% of Georgia's energy supply. And now solar is very similar in size and scale to hydroelectric. So it's actually doing quite well. There's a lot of growth in our utilities like Georgia Power and Green Power EMC uh, are adopting solar because it's cost effective and it's a great addition to their energy mix. When we were doing the, the preparatory conversation, you mentioned that you're evolving. Like every six months, you have to reinvent your business. Um, but you've been around for 10 years. So how does that work? <laughs> how do you reinvent yourself every, every six months for 10 years? Well, you know, when it comes to a business plan, it's out of date the, the day you finish it. So, uh, you know, when we started this business, we actually were, we were in the solar hot water business. We were making hot water with, uh, with the sun. And... Uh, Everybody has a hot water heater. A lot of businesses use a lot of hot water. And that was the, the biggest impact, the biggest financial impact you could make was with solar hot water. And we raised money based on that concept. And within 12 months, the, the price of natural gas dropped. So the pain threshold went out of that market. And a lot of people didn't want our product anymore because the price of natural gas dropped very rapidly when the recession hit. 
And at the same time, uh, the price of PV panels, the panels that may generate electricity, they started dropping very rapidly and, uh, and electricity prices were stable or were going up. So we, uh, in about 12 months, we, we did a 180. We, we based our business more on a solar electricity. So as we talk about every six months, the business is different because prices change, regulations change, um, tax policy changes. And, um, and you just have to, uh, to kind of roll with the punches and, and rewrite your business plan every six months. This fascinates me. I'm a strategist by trade. And one of the complaints that I hear from CEOs who don't have a regular planning process is exactly what you just said, which is it's not worth for me putting the time and the effort to do the market research or to pull together my team to have this conversation because it's, it's obsolete by the time I'm, I'm done with it. So I'm, I want you to weigh in on two things. First is, why do you think it still matters, right? Why does it matter if the plan is obsolete by the time you're done with it? And second, what value do you think you've created from actually having this planning process? And I guess I'm going to ask a third, which is, what does that planning process look like when you have to cycle it so quickly? Well, in, in any business, you're, you're selling to a customer. And, and that's really what changes every six months is our customer. And as prices come down, you're, you're broadening the funnel of the potential customers that you have for your product. And, uh, and at that point, you're really trying to figure out which verticals um, within that funnel are, are going to be most advantageous. And it's kind of to, to your business. And it's kind of funny because some of them wake up at different times. The, the large-scale utilities, uh, uh, investor-owned utilities like Georgia Power got on board uh, about five years ago. Mm. And, and they, they moved very rapidly. And um, the, the cooperatives and the municipal um, utilities have kind of followed them. So, you know, one door opened and then, then a, few door, a few years later, uh, the cooperatives started doing a lot of solar, so they've been a, a, a big customer for us in the last uh, in the last two years, and um, and we think that municipal utilities are now starting to to look at solar and adopt solar. So, from the large scale plant perspective, um, you know your your customers have have changed, and they've all kind of started opening up. So you get a much broader funnel for your business, and um, and I think now. As the prices continue to come down, the the CNI, what we call the CNI business, the commercial and industrial business, is starting to open up for us. So um, it's really about your customer and and who's your customer every six months determines how your business is going to change and how your strategy is going to change to go after that customer. Mm. And what does your planning process look like so that you can keep well, up keep up with all these changes? Well, first of all, it's it's very dynamic. It's ongoing. You know, Jamie. You know, he's a very accomplished guy. He started out as an intern at Turner Broadcasting and ended up a vice president. So he's accustomed to fast-paced, dynamic industries. My background is the software business with Lotus Development and IBM and at Yahoo. So I haven't heard the word Lotus in a long time. <laughs> Lotus was a fantastic company. It was such a <laughs> such a great business experience. But we, um, you know, we have to be very dynamic in our thinking, and uh, we have to make decisions very quickly, and we have to work together. Um, a good example of that change is our business now focuses on doing uh, commercial industrial utility solar projects. Um, we do operations and maintenance for large projects. We don't do residential anymore. So one of the pivots we made was um, focusing on solar hot water uh, to going to PV, as Jamie had just described. But uh, shifting away from residential and focusing exclusively on utility and commercial was a decision we made last year and one that we're very happy with. And, you know, we, we have to have focus. 
Um, I think saying no to a lot of things, you know, we, we've continued to say we're solar specialists. We don't do lighting or energy efficiency because solar is a discipline in and of itself and the complexity and the, the rapid change in the technology really takes our full attention. For example, do you have um, a regular planning meeting that you do every month or every three months? Or do you um, have like a market research function where people are going out and pulling this data for you and then you sit down and look, look at it? Um, what does the, what, what's like the substance and the fiber of how you actually make these decisions? Well, I think that's changed a lot as well. We started out, um, Jamie and I met at Starbucks, and then we started um, our weekly meetings at OK Cafe, and uh, we evolved from there, and we're now an Inc. 5000 company, which I we're, know. We're, we're very proud of and very happy to, to be a part of. We have around 50 employees, and it, it's it's much more of a dynamic process. It's not a, you know, last year we kind of started a, a, a planning retreat um, that worked really well. We're trying to put that together again for this year, mm-hmm. but it, it is much more of a dynamic. We have, um, of course, quarterly meetings with our investors and advisors, and we seek their input and try to work, you know, on the business, not just in the business in that process. But um, I, I think, you know, the key thing is uh, when you're in an, an industry like solar, we call it the solar coaster, and uh, it's got a lot of thrills. You know, there's a lot of ups and downs and challenges and you think you have something figured out, and then there's a major policy change or a utility program change that requires us to change uh, what we're doing very, very quickly. I, I think it's really important to to listen to your potential customers that say no and ask them why they're saying no. And um, if you if you listen to those customers and you keep talking to them over the years and they finally say yes, you, you kind of get the clues. What are the metrics that are important to them mm. where they're going to adopt solar? What's important to them? In the early days, it was really about People wanting to make a statement, um, they were on the, the cutting edge, and they wanted to make a statement about you know the environment and their focus on the environment, and um, and and money. The return on investment didn't matter as much, and then the the market has quickly evolved, you know, um, over the last several years to people that are tr- just focusing on saving money because the cost of solar has come down so much that actually the it's a uh, far below retail rates on a levelized cost, and it's uh, in, in many cases it's is equal to the wholesale rate. Of power, so it's really about listening to your your customers that say no. And we tell our sales guys, you know, if somebody says no, really dig in and and find out why they didn't say no, because there's as much valuable information in where this market is going, uh, and what we need to do, and how we need to adapt our business to get them to yes, or where the industry needs to go to get them to yes, uh, and that and that impacts our planning quite a bit. Do you have a formal win loss process, um, win loss review process? That says, you know, here's what we do, and yeah, we do. Just in in, in sales meetings, we again, it's um, I don't know how formal it is, but part of the process is is reviewing why people say no, mm. and and how does that how does that impact our business, and how does how are we gonna, you know, pivot and, and try to get them to yes, and in some cases, it's really about, you know, just finding ways to drive the cost lower. If somebody says, well, if it was you know, five percent lower, uh, we would say yes, and then we we have to go back and uh, and figure out how to take cost out of the product. Uh, it's a very dynamic market in that way, and there's a lot of competition, um, both on the manufacturing side, which we're not in. Um, we're we're really technology integrators, and um, and on the integration side, and there's really two ways when you're in a business like ours, which is an integration and service business, you can really only make, you know, two major impacts. I think it was Schumpeter that said you can make impacts by process mm-hmm. and then in procurement. And so um, it's really just about getting more efficient every day and getting that process 
honed and then um and at the end of the day making sure that your customers feel uh that they're doing a great work i mean i think one of the big lessons we've learned in the last year or two is you can do great work and great work often speaks for itself but if you're not advertising your great work to the customer while you're doing that work um, you're missing an opportunity and so we have a lot of happy customers but we've realized throughout the process our work is great but we're not advertising to them that our work is great and showing them how our work is great. Sometimes you do need to tell happy customers that they're happy. Yes. <laughs> how do you do that? Historically, I, we, <clears throat> we've done it with, with really great photography so that we show them their projects. Now, of course, we use drones to do aerial photography of the systems, which I think people really appreciate. We do ribbon cutting events. Um, you know, and I think what we're trying to improve is our communication, our documentation, um, kind of the, the, the things and services are around the product. And, and after the fact, these, these uh, solar panels should last 20, 30 plus years. And so once somebody installs solar, you want to make sure that they're happy. And so six months, 12 months, once a year, if you can tell them, hey, we've, we've done a performance analysis on your solar plant. Um, you've just got this little energy plant on your building and it's, and it's performing great. And uh, if you can let them know how well it's performing on a regular basis and then you're there when things aren't going well. Or, or you say, hey, I think your system needs to tune up and we go out and we make it perform a little bit better. Because um, a lot of people, they, they install solar and then they kind of forget about it. And they, it's uh, probably a smaller percentage than you would think that really pay very close attention to the, uh, the ROI of that solar plant once it's installed. Um, they see that it's making an impact, but they don't really get very granular on it. And that's our job is to get very granular and let them know, hey, it's performing above expectation. And that's how you keep those happy customers. That's how those customers recommend you or they want to do another project. So when you get to, you know, we've done hundreds of projects. When you get to that size, your existing customer base is a big source of your future sales. And mm -hmm. that's, that's something uh, that we're really focused on right now. So I would love to, for you to, to share with us. You mentioned being on the Inc. 5,000. Five, um, 5, how much of that do you think is a function of the fact that you're in this rapidly growing technology? You're at the beginning of the technology curve. And how much of it do you think is just like the, 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 that effective blocking and tackling around having a great sales force and managing the business effectively, understanding the strategy, knowing how to shift and pivot when the market changes? I would love to, to hear that. Because a lot of people could say, okay, well, you know, they just got lucky. They got in an industry that's growing exponentially. That's why they're ink on the on the Inc. Five Thousand. Well, <clears throat> I tell people all the time: <clears throat> we started the right company at the right time, which is really important. Right technology, but we started it in the wrong state. We started <laughs> it in the southeast, which has historically low electric rates. So our work is much harder than our colleagues in California or our colleagues uh, in Massachusetts or in Colorado. They've had more favorable policies. Even the state of North Carolina has had a, a more rapidly growing solar market. Now, Georgia has made great strides, and we, we've really uh, been a part of that from a leadership and the policy framework, working with our utilities. But it has not been easy. And, you know, after I spoke with you yesterday, I thought a little bit about, you know, there was a time where Jamie and I worked in an office that didn't have heat. And there have been all-nighters that we've done. And we, we did an all-nighter not long ago. And, um, you know, it was 2 a.m., and Jamie and I were um, cleaning up a job site and putting trash in the truck and putting it in a dumpster and doing it recycling. And um, that's not easy to do. And, you know, don't try this at home. It's really funny because um, we're starting to build a website for CEO Exclusive. And 
my um my marketing team was choosing pictures and um the pictures were all these like beautiful people in these suits and they looked happy and you know they looked perfect no stress you know and i was like the ceos i know don't look like this they're taking trash out at two o'clock in the morning you know so i really appreciate the authenticity that's that's really great i i think something that james was talking about and you know we were in the right business um, in the wrong market. Uh, the one thing that that did for us and the benefit that it had is we had to get our prices down. We had to figure out how to get the price of solar down in, in this market in a low-cost market, and that gave us great advantages as we moved into other markets. And uh, we would meet, uh, we'd go to conferences, and, and people would ask us what we were selling solar for, and we'd tell them, and they'd say, please don't come to our market. <laughs> so we were forced to get low very early and to be innovators and um, we, somebody from the Rocky Mountain Institute came to Georgia. We were doing a project with Georgia Tech, and they asked about our solar pricing, and he said, congratulations, you're the lowest in the country. And we kind of said, wow, okay, I think we need to start expanding our footprint a little bit. But it was really the low cost of energy in Georgia that forced us to get competitive because really we're just selling energy at the end of the day, and we've got to be competitive with, with, um, with utility prices out there, and that's really what we're competing against. Mm-hmm. Just a, a question. So when you realize that, wow, you know, we're we're in a market that's geographic market that's really tough. Did you ever consider moving? Well, for family reasons, I didn't want to move. Mm. And, you know, we wanted to see this happen here. We believe in what we do. We believe there's a societal benefit to installing solar and producing clean, renewable energy. And w- we knew that it was working all over the world and we knew that we could make it work here. And we were, had a lot of tenacity, and I think sometimes I think that's what carried us through. And we worked really, really hard because we wanted to make it work here in Georgia and the Southeast. And we are a much more regional company now. Uh, we did significant projects in five states last year, mm-hmm. and we'll do <clears throat> similar projects again this year. Wonderful. So um, for those of you listening, we're talking to, to Radiant Solar um, about dealing with change and being nimble. And... I want to shift the conversation to talking a little bit about your working relationships, you know, both between the two of you and then also with this team that you're building. One thing that came to mind, James, as you were talking about those early days, is that it feels like you're very, still have a very cohesive, cohesive team. Um, but it often happens that when people are under a lot of stress that, that people aren't, it's not very cohesive. So I would, you know, tell us how you negotiated all the the changes and the the stressors from a team standpoint, and making sure that um, you work together effectively and kind of managing conflict and things like that. Well, I, I think Jamie and I complement each other very well in that we uh, have different strengths and we sometimes have different viewpoints, but we we have a real commitment to our company, to our employees, to safety, uh, to making this work. I mean, we just there are people in our industry that are very very passionate about what we do. And we've had some real battles uh, with policy, real battles, you know, with utilities who we work with great, you know, they're they're oftentimes a frenemy. You know, there are people that oppose what we do and we're shifting their opinion. We're shifting their mindset two degrees, but we work together, um, you know, uh, uh, role models for me, you know, Bernie Marcus and Arthur Blank and Home Depot. You know, when I was at Yahoo, uh, the co-founders were Jerry Yang and David Philo. So, you know, I've seen examples of where people work closely together. And, you know, sometimes it's a handoff. Sometimes it's a divide and conquer. Uh, sometimes it's we both need to be together and, and show that we're a company and, you know, act like a bigger company than we are at times. But, um, you know, I really respect and, and enjoy working with Jamie. And I, and I think as far as culture is concerned, you know, I, I think, you know, we, we are 
we're very different. Um, and, and I think that's you, been, you and you James and I've been, okay. and, and I think as we've been, a, it's been a real, you know, yin yang benefit to, to the company. Um, and I think, uh, you know, as far as building a, a small company and growing, you know, how, how to keep that, that nimble kind of bootstrapping culture, because we did, you know, in the beginning, um, when you don't have two nickels rubbed together and, uh, and you're debating when you're going to turn the heat on, um, literally there was a time when, James looked over at me and he could see my breath as I was typing on the computer. And he said, Jamie, I think it's time to turn the gas on, you know, and we, you know, but, but that was an investment we had to make to turn the gas on. And I was working in, in fingerless gloves at that time, you know, that that's, you know, that's really sums up where we came from. And, uh, and we have a number of employees that, that were there with us in those days and, and keeping that, I think the challenge for us is, is keeping that kind of esprit de corps, that, that bootstrapping um, culture, um, and, and, and as we grow, because we're, you know, almost 50 employees now and, um, and making sure that everybody understands where we came from. Uh, I, you know, I started uh, my professional career, started Turner Broadcasting and there was a time, um, I was there in, uh, in, in the fairly early days. And, uh, uh, there's, there was a story about, um, Ted needed to pay the power bill. Um, and George Power was threatening to, to cut the power off and, and he went to every vending machine in the company and was uh, getting change out of the vending machines to uh, to pay the power bill, and uh, you know that that kind of stuck sticks with you because we've had a lot of those moments, and even uh, a great entrepreneur like uh, like Ted Turner, you know, had those moments, and uh, and I think you have to keep that culture. Um, we we're, we've had a great year last year. You know, we grew 150 percent our revenue. Um, it's really uh, we're doing very well, um, but you can't lose touch. Because things can change very rapidly, as we talked about, this business can change every six months um, dramatically, and you, you've got to keep that uh, that bootstrap culture, no matter how big you get. So, give us some specifics on how you actually so keep keep the culture. Um, and to back up, how would you describe the culture that you're trying to keep aside from the bootstrapping? I mean, what what else defines your culture, and what do you do specifically to make sure that that culture remains intact? Well, I think 10 years ago, I was meeting with Charles Brewer, who was the founder of MindSpring, uh, people might know. And he said, there's no trusted source for solar. So, you know, one of the phrases I've used is that we want to become a trusted source for solar. Um, my friend Raj Chowdhury says that you want to be a sought after company. So I, I think those are our goals. And we try to instill that in our team and that we focus on integrity and giving people the authority to do the right thing. And when there's a problem and when you're doing new things with new technology, there are always problems. And that how you um, creatively solve those problems, and I think that's something that Jamie's just really fantastic at, is you know having a problem and let's figure it out and let's find out what resources we have in the company, in our suppliers and vendors, manufacturers, or in our network you know, through, throughout the global solar industry. So integrity is like a big one, right? Like a lot of... Um when we talk about culture on the show, trust and integrity come up a lot. Give us an example of how your the culture at Radiance demonstrates integrity or trust, you know, creates trust. Well, I, I would say one thing. We do a lot of repeat business. So people come back to us for their next projects. And that's something that we work very hard to earn their trust in doing. And that I think our customers feel pretty quickly that we you know, we've done over 300 of these projects. So we've been doing it. We do them for the best people on the planet. We do a lot of work with Georgia Power. We do a lot of work with Georgia Tech. Uh, we've done primary research uh, with Georgia Power, I mean, with Georgia Tech, and we co-own some patents with Georgia Tech. So we really know what we're doing and that 
I think they get the feeling that when they work with us, if there is a problem, and there will be a problem, that we're going to stand behind it. We're going to make it right. And if it means replacing equipment or it means, you know, working crazy hours to do it, um, we typically try to do that for our customers. Mm. So give us a window, for example, into um, your employee interactions, because uh, I think that that's very helpful for CEOs who are listening. For example, at your retreat that you mentioned, is there a way in which you try to in- infuse these values into in, into your staff? Well, I, I think we do it through hiring the right people and hiring people with similar values. And um, in our work, we, we do field construction work. We do engineering and design. We do sophisticated sales and marketing work. So we, we, we wear a lot of hats and we need people that are creative problem solvers, people that are very bright, uh, people that are very committed to what we do and put in that extra hour in preparation uh, to, to do the work that we need. I mean, one, one thing that I, I tell people occasionally is that I'm a big fan of, of reading about business, and I really enjoy Inc. Magazine and Fast Company. But uh, to the casual reader of those magazines, it seems like billion-dollar companies start out on a napkin in a coffee shop, and you know, in 12 <laughs> months, they're gazelles, and they, they haven't had any problems or headwinds. And I, I think that's a very, very false narrative. Isn't it? That there are companies that that, that does happen to. And I've worked in Silicon Valley and, and you know, across, across the globe. Jamie's worked in 28 countries. So, you know, we, we've seen a lot of people become successful, but I think, I think this shit's harder than it looks. You Isn't know, that, that the truth? That there's a lot that goes into creating businesses, and we really respect um, business owners. And, um, you know, I enjoy working with manufacturers. Manufacturers I have a lot of respect for because they're making things, and they, they, they do a million things to make those products what they are and to have consistency. So th- those are just some general comments. I think it's important to let your employees fail um, to create, you know, have an environment where you're encouraging them to be creative problem solvers. But part of that is is letting them fail and uh, building a culture where it's okay to fail as long as you don't make the same mistake uh, more than once. And um, so we look for people that that want to take on responsibility. And uh, and I learned that you know when I was at Turner Broadcasting, that was the great thing, and that was great, the great culture that that Ted built there was uh, that he he gave you a lot of rope. Um, to 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 build a business, and he gave uh, a lot of young people uh, a lot of leeway to build businesses and be creative. And that's really that was the success. He used to say, "If I didn't run the place, I wouldn't be qualified to work here." And that was a testament to him creating a culture of people coming in and and having the freedom to uh, to make mistakes and uh, and to learn from those mistakes. So I think that's a big part of our culture. Um, and uh, and I think just again being being creative and letting everybody know what what are what the goals are that that we're trying to be a special company people want to work at a place that's special um that again that was the great thing uh, about working at, at a place like turner um that you know in those days you really felt like you were working you were on a mission and you were working in a special place and uh, and that's what we try to instill in our folks is that we're trying to drive the cost of solar down we want to be the highest quality solar for the lowest price and if we do that we'll make our customers happy and, and we'll have repeat business and we'll have that reputation. And that reputation is why people come to work in the morning, really. And, and they feel like they're working at a special place. And um, this notion of letting the employees fail is a, is a really huge idea. But I, I find that it's um, predicated on the emotional restraint of, uh, of the CEOs. And so um, how do you, how do you when, okay, they failed and it's something that the stakes are kind of high, you know, it's not trivial. How do you maintain emotional composure and continue to be supportive even when uh, it may be something that's important to you? 
maybe what's more important is apologizing when you lose your composure and then letting <laughs> them know uh, when you uh, um, when you're frustrated. They can look and they can see the frustration in your face to say it's okay. You know, we all make mistakes and uh, and 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 maybe sharing some of the mistakes you've made in the past. But uh, it's uh, in the in the early days when when James and I were um, you know starting the company, every decision felt like a monumental decision and. Uh, you kind of learn that you're going to make mistakes and it's okay and you're going to wake up in the morning and you're going to um, go back to work and, and try to do better. So, um, you know, we, you know, the the two of us make mistakes and we have to forgive each other and forgive ourselves. And uh, and that's really what you try to do with your employees. And, 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 and as you're building a company, and we're in this point now where we've been a very horizontal company, very flat uh, as far as the, the structure, the hierarchy. Um, and now we have to build some uh, some vertical hierarchy of the company to really make it work as we grow, and um, and it's teaching the, the 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 managers below you and the manager below your managers to have the flame, same philosophy um, with the rest of the employees. So as uh, to to share that philosophy, and make sure it trickles down on all levels. So we're kind of in that place where we're going from very horizontal to vertical, and uh, it's a it's kind of a fun place to be, and it's uh, it's been a, a, a a challenge for us and a small company that's trying to become a, a healthy, medium-sized company. Awesome. Well, gentlemen, it's it's been a great show. I'll uh, ask you if there's anything kind of new, exciting uh, that's happening uh, at Radiant Solar that you want to share with the CEOs who are listening. Well, I think it's something new every day, but the, the main force behind us is that solar is becoming cost-effective. Um, the products are, are at a point where almost any type of user can now incorporate solar into their business. Uh, we don't do residential, but into their home. So solar is becoming, um, as a friend of mine uh, from First Solar said a couple weeks ago on a panel at a big conference, that solar has won the war. And what he meant by that is like those flat panel televisions, that, that solar is going to be part of our energy mix, and it's going to be very commonplace. And it doesn't mean we've won all the wars or the battles uh, in totality, but it means that solar is a technology that is part of our future. And that it's something we find very exciting to work in. And we, we enjoy working with people if it's their first solar project or if they're working on their 20th solar project. You know, we enjoy, enjoy working with them. Awesome. It's, it's, yeah, it's to, to build on what James said, it's not a matter of if but when. Um, most businesses and, and homes will have solar probably in the next 10 to 20 years. And so uh, it's really uh, like flat panel TVs and computers and cell phones. You know, everybody has them and, and solar's on that same traje- trajectory. And it's, it's getting there very quickly. So, listeners, we've been talking to Radiant Solar, Jamie Porges and James Marlowe, um, the leaders of that company. Um, gentlemen, thank you so much for being on the show with us this morning. Uh, you can find out t- key takeaways from the show on our blog, which we post on Thursdays on LinkedIn at 2.30. And if you want to find out more about Radiant Solar, you can find out about them at www.ceoexclusiveradio.com. Um, I hope everybody listening has a prosperous, productive, and very profitable week. Thanks. This show is brought to you by Anona Enterprises, where strategy is your access to money and performance. Learn more at anonaenterprises.com.